You ever ask the wrong question? You know, you know how it works, right? You know, hey, kids, can y'all clean the kitchen? We can. Wrong question, right? Will you clean the kitchen, right? I mean, I was leading mission trips over to rural Montana, and, and one of the guys on the team serving alongside of him, his name was Tom, and Tom, he was in charge of all of our service projects. And so I'd ask the question, Tom, what do you need for the service projects? And he's telling me, well, we're fixing these bleachers, we're doing this roof, I'm going to need these tools, we're going to need to do all these different things. And he's describing the whole thing to me. It might as well have been a foreign language. I mean, I, I just, I don't know that stuff, Right? It was the wrong question. Tom, how many people do you need for each service project? And how much are the service projects going to cost? That's what I needed to know, right? That can help me. Sometimes we just ask the wrong questions. And other times we give the wrong answers, don't we? Right? You ever go out to eat and the server comes and, okay, what would you like? And you give them your order and then the other people give their orders and then the food comes. And you see what you ordered and then you see what they ordered and you're like, I gave the wrong answer. Because I really wish I was eating that right now. Yeah, sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we give the wrong answers. You know what? We're not alone. The disciples, they had the same predicament. Sometimes they asked the wrong questions. Sometimes they gave the wrong answers. We'll see both of that this morning as we continue through Mark's gospel. Let's jump right into it. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. Mark 10, 32 through 52. John Mark writes, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit upon him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is, the, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would become first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as they were leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? 
And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. So Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road again. This time they're headed to Jerusalem. And you remember, they're traveling a lot in this section, in this second half of the book of Mark. We see them on the road a lot. And the last time they were on the road, you remember in chapter 9, they're making their way to Capernaum. And at that moment, there was also this time when Jesus, he's off in front of them, and the disciples lingering behind, and they're arguing with each other. And they're arguing about who's the best disciple. They all want to be considered, hey, we're the best disciple, we're the best follower of Jesus. Will you recognize us, Jesus, as like your top one? I mean, this is what they're after. They want greatness. Well, Again, it seems like they really haven't learned anything. You know, in that moment, once they get to Capernaum, Jesus actually sits them all down and he explains to them very patiently, very lovingly. Hey, if you want to be great, whoever wants to be first must become last, must become a servant of all. Well, it doesn't seem like they get anything. Here, they're behind Jesus again, and there still seems like they're probably arguing and jockeying for position and trying to outmatch and outmaneuver each other for the title of best disciple. And Jesus, again, he begins to teach them. You know, the disciples, they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They understand that he's the Messiah. They've, they've made it that far. Their issue right now at this point in the gospel is a Messiah who is acquainted with suffering and death, that just doesn't compute. They don't get that. They, it, Jesus is God's son. He is God. We recognize that. But, it, but a God who will die and who will suffer, that doesn't compute. They, they, this does not make sense to them. And so Mark, he says that the disciples, they're amazed at Jesus, but they're also afraid. Perhaps they're afraid because Jesus has been spending so much time talking about persecution and suffering and death. Well, he doesn't do anything to ease their fears here because he launches right back in, okay? And this is really the third long discourse where Jesus just explains what's going to happen to him. And every time he explains to them what's going to happen to him, he's, he's giving them additional details, okay? So last time he explained, he told them that he would be betrayed, that he would be delivered over to somebody. Now he's going to tell them who he's delivered over to, I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. And they're going to condemn me to death. And then they're going to deliver me over to the Gentiles. And it will be the Gentiles who spit on me and mock me and flog me. And they'll be the ones who carry out my execution. So everybody's guilty, right? Jews are guilty. Gentiles guilty. All of humanity is guilty for the death of Jesus. Nobody's innocent in this. And ultimately, it's our sin who put him there in the first place, right? And so Jesus, he explains this to them. And then he says, hey, and he will rise victoriously. So as Jesus is marching onward and getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem and his ultimate sacrifice, the disciples are really no closer to understanding anything about Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. It still does not compute. They don't get it. They lack understanding. And that understanding, that lack of understanding, it becomes very evident because they're still asking the wrong question. You know, when you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. And so here's James and John, and they're very bold, you know. I mean, they come up, Jesus, whatever we want you to do for us, you just need to do it. 
That's a pretty bold approach to Jesus, don't you think? But this is the approach they take. Hey, whatever we want you to do, that's what you got to do. And it starts off with rabbi. Hey, rabbi. Now, that's an appropriate title for Jesus. It's not wrong. But at this point in the disciples following Jesus, you understand that anytime they speak with faith, it's always Lord. It's like, Lord, and then they recognize. Then, then, it's a, then it's always the thought of faith that's coming after that because there's this right recognition of who Jesus is. At this point, and they're following him, when it begins with the rabbi, you know, that's kind of your first clue. Okay, this might not go well. And it takes a downhill turn real fast. Lord, or rabbi, we want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. Why? Why do they think that? Because they think that ultimately Jesus is there to serve them not them to serve him. And you know what? Sometimes we get it backwards too, don't we? That we think, ultimately, God, you simply, you serve us. And he has, for sure. I mean, we can look in countless number of ways in which God serves us, for sure. But ultimately, he is Lord. We are to serve him. We, we, we get the evidence of our hearts just in our prayers, right? I mean, you look at the prayers we pray, and a lot of times it's, God, Here's the sick people that I know. Will you heal them? God, here are the people who I know who are traveling. Will you protect them? God, here are my financial struggles. Will you provide? God, here are the things in my life that are just messy and hard. Will you just provide calmness of heart? Will you, will you, do, will you take care of these situations and make them better? God, will you do this? Will you do that? Will you do? Hey, we present all of our requests to God. This is good. Come to God with all of our prayers and petitions. That's fine. But if it's never, God, what will you have me do? God, what are, what are you calling me to do today? God, will you open my eyes so that I can see what I'm walking into and what you prepared me for today? Then it's a real indication that we view God simply as a God who's to serve us rather than a right recognition that we exist to serve him. And so our focus has to be, hey, how, how can we serve rather than how can we be served? And that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand, that your focus is how do you serve, not how can you be served. Sadly, a lot of Christians never graduate to that type of thinking. A lot of times they just, they stay in the place, Jesus, will you do this for me? Jesus, will you do that for me? Jesus, will you do this for me? And it never graduates to the point, Jesus, what can I do for you? How can I serve? What, what have you called me to? Who are the people in my life? Will you, will you help me to see? God, as I shower this morning and I just become physically clean, at the same time, God, will you make me spiritually clean so that I have eyes to see what I'm walking into today and the purpose, the kingdom purpose for which you have for me, that we want what God wants for us. Listen, if Jesus just gave us everything we asked for, that wouldn't be an answer out of love, Right? I mean, you know this with kids, right? If, if everything they asked you, if you said, sure, here, you know, you got it. You want this? Fine. You want that? Fine. No, no. You're not equipping your kid for success at that moment. It's the same thing for us. And so they come, James and John, Jesus, whatever we ask, we want you to do it. And Jesus yeah, I love how he just always just, he turns things around with the question so many times because he's exposing their heart. And so he asks James and John, okay, what is it that you want me to do for you? 
Well, that's an easy one. We want to sit at your right and in your left, in your kingdom, in your glory. That's what we're after. We want positions of power. We want positions of authority. We want positions of recognition. That's what we want. Why? Because they think Messiah means reign. It means rule. It does, just not in the way they think is going to happen. Right? They think that Jesus, he's marching into Jerusalem and he's going to sit down on David's throne. He's going to restore Israel to Solomon's glory. And then all of Israel, everything, Roman occupation gone. He's now in charge. And then everyone can look and say, man, those are the guys who helped make it happen. They're his trusted advisors. They're the ones in his ear. You know, these are the guys. That's what they want. That's what they're after. They don't know what they're asking. They have no idea what they're asking. And you know what? The disciples, they, I think you get the idea that they kind of overhear this conversation. They get word of what's taking place and they get mad. You know, they're mad at James and John. You know why they're mad? Because they didn't ask first. I mean, that's what they're mad about. If they had the gumption and the boldness and if they would have thought about it, they would have been the first ones to ask you. Why? They all wanted the same thing. This is what they've been arguing about. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who can have the position of recognition, the position of power, the position of authority? They're all after the same thing. So Jesus has to explain it to all of them. And he says, you know how the Gentile rulers operate? And you hate it. They lord it over you. They exercise their authority over you. They remind you every day that they're the ones in charge and you have to do what they say. How do you like that? No one likes to be led like that, right? If you've ever had a boss who operates that way, like, it's my way or the highway, you do what I'm saying or else. No, nobody likes to be led like that. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm creating leaders, disciples in my kingdom. It looks totally different because you'll serve. You'll simply look at other people and you'll have a heart to serve. That's greatness. That's, that's what true leadership looks like. Sometimes we get this idea that Jesus comes in and he just turns our world upside down. Listen, the world is already upside down. Jesus comes in and he turns it right side up. We have an upside down view of greatness. You know, we, we look, oh man, the great people in our world, they have attendants who come and serve and they meet their every need. Wow, you know, they've made it. I mean, look at all the people they have who just answer their beck and call at it any of their whims, you know, they're just right there. And right now, uh, another example, Major League Baseball, it's like free agent season, the off season, where guys who don't have contracts, different teams can say, hey, here's a contract we'll present to you, will you, will you play for our team? And the players, they get to decide, okay, which team do, do, do I want to play for? Have you seen the contracts that they're signing this off season? Just a couple. I mean, these are real contracts. Five years, $185 million. Six years, $200 million. Nine years, $365 million. Let me tell you what you will not hear this season. Okay? There's a new opening at the Portsmouth Hospital. And a top surgeon signs a contract for five years and $250 million. You're not going to hear that. Right? Uh, the new high school, They've, they brought in this great teacher, one of the best teachers around. She just signed a contract for eight years, $400 million. You're not going to hear that. Why? Because it's what we value. 
We're an upside-down world. We have an upside-down value system. Jesus comes into an upside-down world, and he turns it right side up. How does he do that? That's the part we often miss, how he does it. What does Jesus know that we don't know? What he knows is the first will be last. The last will be first. The, la- the, the first will be servant of all. How does that work? Oftentimes through suffering. That's why Jesus is preparing his disciples to suffer for persecution. He's preparing them over and over and over again for a life of suffering because there is so much suffering in our world. And when you serve, when you engage into the lives of people, into the messiness of people, into the brokenness of people, you are entering into suffering. You will suffer. You take on their suffering. You suffer yourself. You see the brokenness of it all. You see the hurt of it all. You see the pain of it all. And so he's equipping them to suffer. Now, suffering in and of itself, like, if it has a purpose, if it has meaning, if, if there's a reason for it, then suffering's not the problem, right? In fact, suffering can be a very good thing. For instance, a woman suffers in labor, and then there's a child. What happens? The suffering's forgotten about. Now it's celebration. A guy at the gym, he's, he's working hard. I mean, he's really working hard, okay? He's like pumping the iron, you know, and he's grunting, and he's flexing, he's doing all these different things. And, you know, and you're like, man, what's all this about? This is pain. This is good pain right here, right? I'm just going to embrace the pain, right? And why? Because there's a reason for it. There's a reason, there's a purpose for the suffering. Paul talked about that. He talked about it in Philippians in, in his letter, and he begins, hey, I, w- I want you to know that, uh, that I'm in prison on your behalf. And then in chapter 4, he says, hey, he's received some kind of care package or something, and he says, I thank you, but I thank you not in want or need because I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content in every circumstance. Doesn't matter. I learned content in every circumstance. Doesn't matter. Rich, poor, hungry, well-fed, freed, or locked up. Content. How does that happen? Because Paul knew that no matter what his enemies did to him, no matter what Rome tried to do to him, no matter what life threw at him, that nothing in all creation could ever separate him from the love of Christ. See, Romans 8 is testimony. Paul, he's lived it. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And and so, yeah, you're suffering. And there's hard things. There's difficult things. What I must know is who I am in Jesus. There's a purpose to it all. Because let me ask you this. What can the world give you? What what do you think the world can give you that will make you happy? What what is the world going to give you that's going to give you like depth of life and meaning and purpose and value? What does the world have to offer to give you that? Paul reached the conclusion, nothing. I have everything I need in Jesus. And so what is his, I'm I'm just determined to know Jesus. You know, the world will tell you, this is what you need. You want to be happy? Here's how. Look inside yourself. Just look inside yourself. What really makes yourself happy? And what's your identity? Dig deep. Just look within. Find your true identity and then plaster it all over the internet so that everybody knows. 
and that everyone can pat you on the back and support you. Oh, embrace that. That's, that's the way to go. Listen, I'm telling you right now, what our culture is doing to our young boys and our young girls, some of it, 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 it just cannot be undone in this life. Why? Because the world lies to us and tells us this is how you should think and this is who you are and this is what matters and this is what's important. And let me tell you, the world will tell you who you are, but the world always gets it wrong. Gets it wrong for our young people, gets it wrong for us too, right? They turn this whole idea of being an adult, uh, that's a noun, you know, but they've turned it into a verb, adulting. Okay, so you see, oh, I'm going to do some adulting stuff today. Listen, you can masquerade for a while, but you either are or you are not. And it does not matter about how old you are, right? I know people older than me, they're still children, they're still immature. Because they don't know who they are. Yeah, they masquerade and do adult things once in a while, but they're still in immaturity. They're still children. You either are or you are not. But the world will lie to you and tell you, no, 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 no. You did this for a while, but really, here, you just look within. And there's meaning, there's purpose, there's value, there's depth of life. Let me tell you, all that is empty. It's emptiness. When you chase after simply what you want and what you think is going to fill you up and who you think you are, and who the, it's empty. It leaves you wanting more and more and more. It never satisfies. Only Jesus does that because he tells us who we are. You know, and you know what? Jesus knew who he was. The world came to Jesus and told him, hey, you can be a good teacher. We'll be okay with that. Uh, you can have angels come and attend to your every need. That's okay. But you can't claim to be God, right? You, you got to stop that. You got to stop like changing, twisting our interpretation of the scripture. We don't know no more of that. And Jesus said, no, I know who I am. I, I know that I'm here to do the will of the father. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. I know my purpose. I know my meaning. I know who I am. And it's the same thing for us. You know, the world wants to tell you, hey, here's the rat race of life that you're in it, and here's how you win, and here's how you get ahead, and you want to win the rat race. Let me tell you, if you win the rat race of life, I, all that makes you is a fat rat at the end of the day. Only Jesus gives meaning. Only he gives purpose. You want to be great, you serve. You pour yourself out and you serve others. Jesus asked the question, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized in the manner that I'm going to be baptized? And James and John, oh yeah, we can, no problem, we got that. Why? Because they think, their, their idea of Messiah is, okay, we get to sit on these nice thrones, people can come bring us these nice drinks, we get to sit in this place of rule and authority, we can handle that. Like, yeah, we can do that. I can, I can take that kind of baptism. That works. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Yeah, you're going to drink the cup that I will drink. You are going to be baptized with the same kind of baptism that I'm going to have. But you have no idea what that means right now. Because what it means is their life. It means everything. It means all, all they have. And they did graduate to that point. Herod, he had James killed for political purposes. John, if you remember it, in his old age, he was exiled off 
to this island of Patmos, a little piece of rock in the middle of the Aegean Sea, just to be forgotten about, nobody there, just live out your last days in exile and loneliness. But what could the world take away from them? Nothing. Because they had everything they needed in Jesus. Jesus gives you that. Jesus tells you who you are. He tells us your reason for being, your purpose in life. He defines you. He made you. He has the right to define you. And then suffering begins to have purpose. It begins to take meaning. Even in those areas of life that you look at and you say, oh, man, nobody deserves to go through that. I mean, this type of pain, this, this disease, or this death of this loved one at this age, or whatever the case may be, like nobody should have to go through that. It's still, Jesus is able to reach into it and give it meaning and give it purpose, because if, for no other reason, other people are able to look and say, whoa, that's what it means to suffer Christianly? That, that, that's, that, that's what it looks like to have peace and pain? That, that, that's how you can have joy, even in the midst of tears, even in the midst of hardship. Your life becomes a testimony to others who are struggling, to others who are suffering, and then you're able to use that pain and that hurt and then serve other people. I mean, it is so freeing. It is so freeing to know who you are in Christ. And you just realize, I am a disciple of Jesus. He's Lord. I'm not Lord telling him what he needs to do for me. He's Lord, and I'm asking Jesus, how can I serve you? How, how do you want to use my life? How, how do I spend my days? And so imperfectly, that's what we do. Jesus, how can I serve? What would you have me do? It's not Jesus, do this, do this, do this. Yes, we present all our requests, but it's always with a heart of a servant. And Jesus, what does he say? To serve others. Serve others. He's shown us how. He's done it for us. Now he said, this, this is what I want you to do. Go serve. And what's more, that's greatness. He says, you want to be great, you serve. That's greatness. That's what I value. This upside down world, it values being served, all this other stuff. No, no, no. I value a heart of a servant. Those who want to give their lives for the sake of others. You know, we get it flipped because we think sometimes, you know, if I get this job, I make this much money, if I have this house, if I can drive that car, if I'm able to send my kids to do all these different things, then I've made it. You just know, you've made it when you recognize that your life is to be lived on account of others that you give your life for the sake of others. Greatness comes from serving others. And if you've never had Jesus, just through his word, just tell you, this is who you are. You're created in the image of God. So you have distinct value. You have this inherent value built into you because I made you that way. But because of your sin, you, you are separated and you are in need of redemption. But if you've experienced this redemption through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, well, then I've adopted you into my family. And you are my son. You are my daughter. 
And, and here's who I've created you to be. I've now created you to be disciple makers where you go out and you share Jesus and you impact people. This is who you are. And he's inviting us on this kingdom adventure. And we discover more and more depth to that and the nuances of it all through his word. If you've never had you just kind of clarify this for you. Man, today's the day. I mean, I mean just to understand this is who we are meant to be. Jesus, he takes our understanding of greatness and he turns it right side up. The disciples, they're spiritually blind to it all. And you know what's interesting? This is the second time now when you see the disciples, they're just spiritually blind to what Jesus is trying to teach them. And then Jesus, he does this juxtaposition where with the disciples' spiritual blindness, Jesus then goes and heals someone who's physically blind. And this time it's blind Bartimaeus, the beggar. Now, what's also interesting about this is Jesus, he asked the question to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? He asks the same question to blind Bartimaeus. James and John, they say, hey, we, 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 in your kingdom, we want these positions of greatness. We want to sit on these thrones, one at your right, one at your left. It's going to be great. That's what we're after. He goes to blind Bartimaeus, this guy sitting in the dust, and he asks from his poverty and requests, just, I just want to be able to see. I just want sight. <laughs> the disciples see Jesus as one who's going to bring, him, bring them majesty and glory and power and authority and recognition. Bartimaeus, he sees Jesus as one who can bring healing and restoration. It's interesting. The f- those who have physical sight are blind. And the one who, has, who, is, who is physically blind has spiritual sight to see Jesus who he is. Jesus can heal physical blindness. But much more than that, he's come to heal spiritual blindness. But you know, healing doesn't come easy. Sometimes I think we have this misconception, you know, Jesus came and he healed and oh man, it was incredible. And yes, it is, but it was not easy. It was never easy for the person being healed, not most of the time, all right? Even in Mark's gospel, you know, throughout, just kind of rehearse this with you, you see it over and over again. We see it here with Bartimaeus, right? It's not easy for him. He's crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And what are the crowds doing? Like, shut up, man. Be quiet. We just want to hear Jesus talk. They're they're just trying to silence him, right? Trying to throttle him down, throttle out his cries. Be quiet. We want to hear from Jesus. And what does he do? He yells all the louder. He's got to yell through the crowds. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, he keeps yelling, calling out the name of Jesus until Jesus calls him out. But it's that way over and over and over again. The Syrophoenician woman, Like, she's not a Jew, but she still has to beg on perhaps of her poverty and her her position as a Gentile. Will you heal my daughter? Jairus, he's got to fight through like all the mourners who are mocking Jesus as he says that your daughter's not dead but asleep. He's got to overcome all that and still in faith invite Jesus in. The leper and the woman with the issue of blood, what? They have to ignore all the cultural laws of the day and still approach Jesus when every law would say, no, 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 keep your distance, go the other way, you can't approach. The, the, man, the, 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 the friends with the paralyzed friend, 
They have to fight through the crowds. They have to climb up on a roof. They have to cut a hole in the roof, lower their paralyzed friend down to see Jesus. The desperate man whose son had been taken to the disciples and the disciples could do nothing for him. And now he has to overcome his own unbelief as he's asking Jesus to heal, right? It's, it's always difficult. There's always a struggle. But you know what? The same thing is true in the spiritual world. The same thing is true. The world is yelling so loudly. Here's how you structure your life. Here's what you should value. Here's who you are. Here's how you should think. Here's what's important. Here's, here's how you should define things. Paul said it. I am determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. See, there, there's a dogged determination to knowing Jesus, to really knowing him well. And, and, and that's the determination that we need. Just be determined to know Jesus. Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? That's an important question. I mean, just, just imagine, right? If Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? And your answer to that question, it really reveals a lot. If you, just, if you want life or if you just want what the world offers, if you want something lasting or if you just want something fleeting. And just look at Mark chapter 10, okay, where we've been the last two weeks. You begin the chapter, and if Jesus were to ask the, the religious leaders there, what do you want? What would they have said? We just want to trap you, right? That's all we want to do. We want to trap you. We want to be done with you so we can get back to our position of authority so we can be the religious leaders, and you're just out of here. That's what we want. The rich young ruler, what do you want? I want fire insurance, Right? I want eternal security at a minimum cost. That's what I want. The disciples, what do you want? We want greatness. We want to sit at your right and your left in your kingdom. We want greatness. And then there's blind Bartimaeus, the beggar. And he doesn't ask for money. You know, that's what he asks people for all the time. He's a beggar. He just wants money. He could have come with his pod, his jaw, and said, hey, just fill it up. So I don't have to do this for the next year. You know, just... You know, just take care of me. Give me a bunch of money so that I'm good. He doesn't ask for that. He asks in faith for sight. There's a difference here in his ask. All of them, they're all asking out of selfish ambition, right? They, they want their, their power protected. They just, he, he wants just a security. They want, they want to be recognized. They want authority. This guy asks in faith. And, he, and Jesus says, your faith has healed you, right? What are we after? What do you want? See, it's not just that sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we give the wrong answers. And our answer to this question, what do we want from Jesus? It tells us whether we really want life or death, whether we want to be healed from our spiritual blindness or whether we want uh, God to just do our bidding. We got to get to the point where we want to see Jesus as all in all in every aspect of our life. Where we come and say, Lord, I just want to live my life to serve others as you've called me to do. To pour out my life as you have shown me how to do it. And so that, that, there's this desperation that, that then takes place. 
I'm just desperate to know Jesus. Forgive me for not being in your word and being a student of your word. I want to know you. I want want to know how to live this life that you've called me to live. This is the heartbeat of Ezra. Remember Ezra, Ezra 7.10? He said that he purposed in his heart to know the law, to know the statutes, to know the word, and then to live it, to be obedient to the things that God had called called him to, and then to teach it. That's the same thing. That's the biblical model for all of us. To know God's word, to study it, and then to actually live it, to be obedient to it, and then to teach others to do the same. That's it. That's depth. You know, sometimes we think, oh, depth, you know, I just want a real deep study. You know, let's go go to like the book of Revelation or something. We'll just dive into a real deep study. There is no depth apart from application. That's depth. Depth, what's depth? Serving others. That's greatness. How do you serve? Well, we study. How, how do I live? How do, what does serving look like? And this is that. Jesus, I want you to be all in all in my life, in the world, in my community. Ever, God, will you grant me ever-expanding knowledge of who you are and how then I'm supposed to live because of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we recognize that through your son, Jesus Christ, you've shown us what true service looks like. You've shown us what it it looks like to to lay down our lives for the sake of others. God, forgive us for when we think simply in selfish terms and we think, well, this would make us happy or this would fulfill, this would provide depth, this would provide meaning. God, may we find our identity, our lives, our purpose, our depth, just richness for life in you. God, may we be so determined to know you, to live according to your word and how you, and how you tell us to live because there's such joy there, there's such goodness there, there's such peace there. And then God, help us to teach others to do the same as we serve them. We recognize that we need your help for all of this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.